Restaurant Unstoppable episode 806 with Ken McGarry. Oh, the biggest thing, it's okay to say no to the guest. Mm. When? Whenever you're out of things. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness. To learn more, visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, and it feels so right to have Bento Box as a sponsor because I remember uh, beyond five years ago when I was researching my guests and finding people to have on the show, I remember there was a correlation between successful restaurants and Bento Box websites, and it just feels so appropriate to have them here sponsoring the show today. But Bento Box is way more than just websites. They're also online ordering and marketing. And you should know that Bento Box has new packages designed with the needs of new restaurants in mind. You can get everything you need to start marketing before you even open and succeed from day one. Current Bento Box customers have seen an average of 70% more website traffic, seven times more conversions, and five times their average ROI. Schedule a demo at getbento.com slash unstoppable and receive three months free. What's going on, Unstoppables? I have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support, and there's a few ways you can do it. You can support our sponsors. Uh, they keep the lights on, and I do not let anybody sponsor this show. So if you support our sponsors, they'll continue to support this podcast. You can use the links in the show notes. Many times when guests recommend a tool or service, I become affiliated with that tool or service, which gives me the right to resell it, and I can actually save you some money, and you can support the show in the progress so if you find a tool or service you're interested in let me know even better shoot me an email eric at restaurant share this podcast with everybody you know the spirit of this podcast is sharing information each episode is packed with knowledge and amazing stories to help people become successful in this industry so share this thing do your part share this thing with people who are trying to grow in the industry and then lastly come hang out in restaurant unstoppable network that's where a 
a lot of the conversations happening. That's where I'm connecting my most loyal listeners with my guests. And we're really pulling back the lessons, uh, sorry, the layers on the lessons we're learning within the podcast. So head over to restaurantsunstoppablenetwork.com. It's 30 bucks a month. Uh, and if that seems to be a lot for you, then try out the, the 30 day trial. Uh, email me, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'll get you a special link. I want you to try it out. Today, we're talking to Ken McGarry. And this is an episode I was looking forward to because I talked to a lot of restaurateurs, a lot of people that have vision and open up restaurants and scale. Uh, but today we're talking to a career manager and um, he has had equity in business businesses. He's had partnerships in the past, uh, but he is predominantly a career restaurant manager. And now today a consultant uh, and it's just a really unique perspective that I don't always get that I was able to get in today's episode. And Ken is also the author of the surprise restaurant manager. Uh, so stick around to the very end of today's episode. You can find out how you can get a couple free copies of that book, signed copies, I should say, but make sure you stick around to the end to get to details on that. Uh, with no further ado, here he is, Ken McGarry, the co-founder of Corgan Hospitality Group, where he does his consulting and the author of the surprise restaurant manager. Here he is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, co-founder of Corgan Hospitality Group and author of the surprise restaurant manager, Ken McGarry. Ken, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Completely unstoppable. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to have you on the show, and I really enjoyed uh, checking out your book. I'm sure elements of it are going to come out in today's conversation. Uh, and I, I can't wait to share your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you have for us? So wait, and before that, actually, no, share your success quote on mantra. Oh, my success quote is, it's just a ride. And it's a Bill Hicks quote, a stand-up comedian that I've always loved, that I have tattooed on me. And it allows me to realize that there's never anything that is so overwhelming that you can't realize, eh, it's fine. It's just a ride. We'll work through it. It's very Buddha of you. It's a little bit Buddha, maybe, <laughs> but but I'll take it, and it and it keeps me pretty uh, pretty level headed. Yeah, but it's just that idea that I think we we get so caught up in our heads as humans. We're constantly just like, oh, we're we're fearful of everything. We're worried about everything. We're stressed out about everything, and it's useless. Completely, it is useless. You're on this ride. You're being hurled through this this speck of dust in space. Just enjoy the ride. Just a snap in time. <laughs> yeah. And if you take it all way too seriously, then it's just you've wasted an, an amazing opportunity. Yeah. So, it's just such yeah. an easy way to reset. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Take a look at that. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And uh, I want to give it a, a nod. We're drinking some bourbon or whiskey right now. Was it bourbon? Uh, it is bourbon. It is uh, Angel's Envy because... Uh, the venue that we're in does Cheers. not have my Basil Hayden, but this is my second go-to. So it's glad delicious. to enjoy it. It is, a little, it is great. A little shout out to those folks. We can now tag them in the episode. <laughs> uh, so let's, where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Because I, in the little research I did, your backstory, I know like, you didn't go to hospitality school. Like did It didn't not. seem like you were on this track back in the, the mid-90s. Yes. So <laughs> at what point did, well, when, when was your first job in hospitality? Well, first job was uh, how a lot of people started, which was just a pickup job in high school. And mine happened to be at a Showbiz Pizza Place 
while it was transferring over to Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. So I got to wear both the mouse and the bear costume while dancing around at children's parties as well as being a dishwasher. And I did that for, gosh, four or five months. Went, you know, kind of a summer extended job. And then from there, started going and serving and bartending. Okay. Um, at what point are you like, this is my career? When I got my degree in English and I got my first job working at a like a, a newspaper. So I started working in a newspaper, started working for magazines. I always enjoyed the written form. But just sitting at a table doing this day in, day out, 14, 15 hours doing nothing but just sitting there drove me insane. So I found myself wanting to interact more and more. And so I picked up a concierge bartending job at a hotel outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and just started from there and loved it. And at the end of my, what I like to call my starter marriage, my buddy who lived in Chicago said, hey, why don't you come on up and you know work at this bar in Chicago? And I did in my late 20s and I never looked back. So that, I was, I was going to say, because you graduated in 1996, 1995, you spend f- a few years working Working, working for uh, Tulsa City Escape Magazine, which I helped start. Working for the Sulphur Times Democrat, which is a teeny tiny, amazing little paper in southern Oklahoma. I did a lot of writing because I really thought that that was what I was going to do. But I was just, just bored. Yeah. According to Fabio, the writing never stopped. It one hundred percent. Fabio Viviani, past guest on the show, and also who wrote your forward. Uh, mentioned that you like to write really long emails. Oh, oh, it's insane. <laughs> I'll write an email and pass the third paragraph. He'll be like, you know, I don't read this from here. And I'm like, I, <laughs> I get it. So I've, I've learned to be succinct when I communicate with him. But you're, I mean, that's how your book is written. So it was very succinct. I think each chapter is like two or three page or three, two or three, four pages on average, right? Yep. Maybe no more than four pages. Uh, but I'm curious. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because not because I want to start talking about your book right now, but more because I'm, I mean, they say communication is one of the most important variables in any business, just sure. being able to communicate. I'm curious, how do you think your backstory, your, your, your history before getting to the restaurant industry has served you? I think the biggest challenge when communication is when it comes to the written word, it has everything to do with the person receiving it and not the person saying it. And emails and especially text messages sometimes really are taken poorly If I learned anything from English composition, it's how to be able to communicate in a way to where people will receive it positively. I use certain words. I use certain phrases. I'm the person who will say to you in the beginning of every email, hope this finds you well, because I don't necessarily want to jump into everything that we want to talk about. But that communication that we do in restaurants sometimes especially will come out really sharp And I think I kind of learned that skill of communicating in a way to where people still felt my personality, Mm. which was, which has served me pretty well. Yeah. Um, And plus you also get into the book, um, how to respond to reviews, writing. There's a lot of writing involved in the restaurant industry today. Uh, More than ever before. I mean, between just, there's just, the the world has become so much more digital. You have to communicate through written word more than ever before. So I'm sure that served you well up to this point. Um, especially because we're so represented through our written word now too. Yes. And I mean, when it comes to reviews, the aspect of being able to not do a cookie cutter response is 
the foundation of being able to come up with something that people will respond to and possibly change their opinion of your restaurant and obviously change your star rating. Yeah. So you're working in this restaurant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yep. You come to Chicago. Yeah. At this point, are you like, I'm a career hospitality person? No. At, at this point, I actually found myself sleeping on my buddy's floor in his hockey room that smelled just like a hockey room would smell. And I was working as a bouncer at a nightclub in Chicago. The Hunt and Club. The Hunt Club. Yeah. That is correct. And as you can tell, I'm not a big dude. So I learned very quickly to talk my way through things because I get my ass kicked by about 90% of the people that might want to go. But I learned communication in that. While meanwhile, I was working as a night auditor at a hotel in order to make ends meet. And I have the quintessential walked uphill both ways story to where my first place in Chicago, no joke, that you open up the windows and I could touch the brick wall that was my only view that was literally maybe a foot away from my, and that's all I had in this 600 square foot apartment. And it was a, it was a hustle. I didn't think I was going to make it in Chicago. I was an Oklahoma boy. I think I still had a bolo tie when I showed up. It was just, <laughs> I was just so out of step. And I, two things happened. One, I lobbied for a management job. I said, I'm your best person in this club. Which is kind of funny because I feel like most people who work in the restaurant industry are like, anything but management. Well, I'll take the cash all day long. But I, w- I was a bouncer at that yeah, point. Yeah. And so I wasn't making the cash. But I learned very quickly as in order to step myself up that as a bouncer, I took the hardest job. Everybody loves standing on the front door because that's where you could rip money. Yeah. But nobody likes standing on the corner of the dance floor because that's when you told people to not hang their drinks over the rail yeah. and be annoying. You're the party pooper. Right, exactly. So yeah. I would, but I would always say, okay, I'm going to do that. And because of that, management saw me as a value. Mm. So when I lobbied to try to get into management into that nightclub, they saw me as that person who always had my hand up, and it worked really well. And I was able to quit my other job and jump into that. And then very quickly, I found myself running that. And then that was really my trajectory into the hospitality yeah. world. I think we can pull back layers. You mentioned that as a bouncer, your greatest strength was being able to talk yourself out of situations oh, or yeah. de-escalate situations. And that really resonates with me being somebody, I consider myself a front of the house guy. My, my favorite role in the restaurant industry is host, mainly because of that reason, because I'm really good at, you know, approaching people and just being like, Hey, what, what's going on? Like, I'm here for you. Like, what can I do? Like, so take us through some of the best practices, how you communicate with people who maybe don't want to be communicated with that, but need to be communicated with. Well, I think it has everything to do with being able to read their response and why they're whatever level of escalation that they're bringing to it. it. When we get to kind of the conversation about table touching has everything to do with whether or not you want, that people actually want you there in the first place and whether they want to engage you in conversations about what's going on and their true experiences. So if your favorite is being a host, then you know what it is to juggle that expectation that person who had a 7:30 reservation and it's 7:31, and suddenly they feel very upset about that and your ability to be empathetic and understand that first off, if you're that person, You've never worked in the restaurant industry and to not, you know, have the response of, well, this is how it is and it's going to take a few minutes, but to communicate with people in different ways. 
And that's no different in any other profession, but especially in the restaurant world. If you communicate with everybody in the similar fashion, you will fail. Mm. You have to read everybody individually and communicate with what feeds their passion. So the first step, it sounds like, is to understand the other person, where they're coming from. Correct. And that at first, I think you could say the first step is what do you perceive? Not necessarily what are you hearing, but like what's the first instinct? Are they pissed? What's their body language saying? Like, you, you take it from there. Right. And then what is it that drives that motivation? If somebody's sitting at your table saying this is the worst food I've ever had and they're very, very agitated, it's rarely about the food. Yeah. It has everything to do with – Maybe they're freaked out about the price point. Maybe this was a really important date or business dinner, and they felt that it wasn't going well. Whatever the response is, you have to kind of take a couple steps back and understand the motivations of why people have this agitation. And then once you do that, then you're left with the ability to kind of dissect why they're complaining. Mm -hmm. Same with online reviews. I've never written a four-paragraph. I've never written a negative review. I don't do that. But – the level of passion that it takes to be able to actually write paragraphs upon paragraphs about how bad your experience is, it's just passion. Mm -hmm. And if once you get to that understanding of why people are like that, you can easily maneuver it and make it better for you. Yeah. First seek to understand. Completely. Then seek to be understood. Completely. Uh, one of those seven habits of highly effective people. And uh, once you do understand, what then? Then you're, I mean, so I talk about it as being two steps back. Too many managers find themselves dealing with aggression and meeting it with similar aggression. So if somebody's complaining about that reservation that's two minutes too late, they're going to meet it with an equal response of, well, this is how it is and blah, blah, blah. And that's not going to get you where you need to be. When you take one step back, you have an understanding a little bit more about why people have the feelings that they do. But then more importantly, when you take that second step back, you understand the motivations behind why they feel that way. That somebody who's really, really upset about a reservation being two minutes late probably feels that they're being singled out. And I see this a lot of time in table touching. It, they, they take it so personally that they feel like everybody else in the room had a great steak, but you purposely overcooked my steak. And if you think about the kind of philosophy of the person – that believes that, that like somehow the kitchen is like, you know, table 43, we are going, (laughs) we are going to overcook that steak. That all you can meet that with is kind of pity and, and just compassion. Because if you're that person that's so insecure and so broken to where you think that the world's against you, then you can understand that level of hyper aggression when they're complaining at your table. Yeah. So listening to you, the thought that was in my, the back of my head before asking the question, like what's next is let the person know that you're on their side. Yes. Cause like, like you're saying, they just think that you have some vendetta against them that, you know, like once they know that it's not you versus them, that it's us, that I'm here to work for you. I'm here to make your night great. Like I'm on your side. What can I do? What you, maybe. maybe. No, maybe. I okay. mean, I, I would do that from a staff standpoint when I, cause aggression can come from your staff. Absolutely. But from a guest standpoint, yes, you're always going to be seen as trying to make it better for them and trying to make it on their side, but you're never going to be able to push your own agenda 
or explain a situation. A perfect example was I worked at a restaurant that had Bell and Evans chicken, and it was very, very nice and beautiful chicken. And when you cut it open, every once in a while, it hit one of those major veins and it would shoot out blood. And that's just what happens when you have leg and thighs and certain aspects of the of the bird. You you can absolutely have it bleed out. It's not raw. It's not overdone. It's actually done properly, but it shows that it's a you know natural bird. That's it's quality. But sometimes you you cut the vein. It's perfectly fine to eat. But if you walk to a table and tell somebody who thinks it's raw food that it's not actually raw, that this is what it is having to do with an organic process and blah blah blah. The response is going to be, you're trying to make me eat raw food. Yeah. So when you're dealing with aggression or challenges with a guest, they already assume that they're on your side or working for you because of your position. It's about not having an ego when you're dealing with them and trying to be right. Mm. And that's, again, back to reviews. I see this all the time to where people will say, oh, well, that." This is how we do things. Or someone will say, I really enjoyed your service, but I really hated your chicken. And they'll follow it up by, I am so happy that you enjoyed our service. You have to fall on the sword because your ultimate response is, I want to make this person feel better. And it's not about me being right. It's about changing their perception. I'm so sorry you don't like it. What can I do? Exactly. I call it the, I'm so sorry that the water was so wet. Mm-hmm. Water's wet. There's nothing I can do about that. But you have an expectation that I somehow didn't fulfill. And for me to try to defend the concept to you will never get you to feeling better about it. Yeah, it's not about who's right. It's about making it right. Correct. And I I think that – I just had a thought that escaped me. It's that – I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of Danny Meyer. Um, I think he wrote it's not about – it doesn't matter if you're right. But it's just the idea is like I'm here to – serve you to make you feel like you're receiving hospitality. And what is hospitality? Warmth, generosity. Like yep. d- it's just about that person. Like being and, over the top, like it's about that person generosity. Like okay. And that ego is involved in that and how people feel. And like you don't want to make them feel stupid. That's not hospitable. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Danny Meyer, I think he calls negative reviews a love letter. Which is exactly correct. I, <laughs> there's passion. Love. There's passion. Yeah. But think about it in the terms of a relationship. When you're in a relationship with somebody and you're arguing, there's still passion. Mm. You might be in a negative space, but you're still arguing. So many one-star reviews that started that way are five stars that I personally have been able to turn right the and, the then, and to the end of the day because that's passion. Yeah. Where you lose people and where you lose relationships is apathy. Mm. It's where you get to... I don't care. What is apathy? Apathy is when you walk out of a restaurant, you don't say what's wrong. When the table touch comes through, no matter how efficient that table touch is, you pretend that it's fine. And then you leave, and then you never come back. Sounds like you work in the restaurant industry. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so you mentioned being a host. Yeah. To me, that is one of the most vital roles because I, as a as somebody who will never complain at your table, I just won't. I have eaten things with fingernails in it. I don't, I, I will that not complain. I happens. will not complain. Yeah. But if you are a heads up host, you can watch my energy as I walk in and I can keep my face up and be, 
The server, how is everything? Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. Manager comes over. Mm -hmm. Great. Fantastic. As I'm walking out, that's usually about the time that I'll look at my wife and go, yeah, I think we're coming back here. (laughs) And and if I'm a heads up host, you, that's the only time you're going to be able to see that I've, so part of my training with the hosts has always been, you have the ability, in the same way that managers and servers and bartenders have, you have the ability to buy their meal. Mm. I don't care. Chase them out down the street. If you see somebody who's had a negative experience, please engage them and walk up and say, hey, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but i got to ask. It doesn't seem like you had a great time, and I would love to make sure that you – What you can know, I do to, what, to turn this around? Exactly. Give me one more shot. Right. And that, but that ability to have a host be tuned in on that, because that is something that traditionally you can you can put on the face all the way through, but at the very very end, you usually drop the facade yeah. on the way out and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, you're making me so happy right now because I, I I say all the time that the host is the most undervalued. I mean, maybe next to like the dishwasher. Dishwasher. Yeah. Dishwasher 100%. Yeah, but most, Stop paying dishwashers less. <laughs> yeah. It's so dumb. I don't understand you know, but it. But one yes. of the most undervalued roles in the restaurant industry because it's your first and your last impression. Completely. And yes, like that, that guest leaving is your chance to make sure that they get out whatever they want to get out before they go home and write a review. Right. And you have a chance to give to hear them in that moment, but you have to, you have to be a heads up host and there's not many heads up hosts. Most hosts are just like, okay, table for two. Do you have a reservation? And like, but they're trained to be like that. They don't, they never get trained to go beyond that. They're not empowered. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing is that I also work with hosts on what it looks like on the way in. Somebody could walk in and have negative energy and have nothing to do with your restaurant. It could be work sucked, parking was terrible, the valet took too long, whatever it was that made you walk in. And you can, I mean, everyone can read energy when somebody's, hey, welcome versus hey. And if a host has that ability to read that person and say, wow, table 43 doesn't seem really super excited, then as part of that seat and greet that they're doing, they need to be able to go to a manager and say, hey, just give you a heads up, table 43 is coming in hot. Okay, fantastic. Then that way you know that you're not only going to super table touch, but you're going to splash an extra uh, appetizer or second dessert or something to try to get them back, knowing that it has nothing to do with your restaurant. It has everything to do with their outside world but you have to change their perception and hosts have that ability, yeah. which is totally underutilized. Yeah. And I don't want to get into the host rabbit hole here, but the other thing that we're, you're talking about reading the room, reading the guests, yes. but a great host also reads the team. Are you going to, if somebody's clearly in the weeds, are you going to sit them up an eight top? No, 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 exactly. Okay. Like, so like picking up on the little subtleties of everything and even just being able to alleviate somebody who's in the weeds, like, Hey, let me grab that tray from you. Like, mm-hmm. like I'll take this off. One less thing you have to do. Like what, what can I do to make your life better and offload work? And like, I think that's what a great host is, is managing je- the, the, the people and the team. I, I maybe that's agree. overstepping. Maybe that's more of a management role, but no, I mean a good, I mean, if, if a manager is doing what they're doing, then they have a lead host that understands how to seat people, who their strong people are, and how to be able to have that conversation you know, from a management standpoint on 
why we're placing people here and how many tables that they can take. Yeah. How did we get here? Um, I don't know. We went being, all the way being down. A, a, being a good bouncer, I think. That's I, how think we that was, I think that was the thing. So let's go back to that point. Um, okay, you come so to Chicago. Ma- mouse up, fit, Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> dancing around. Yeah, yeah. you come to Chicago. Right. You're a bouncer. You lobby for yourself to become a manager. Yeah, uh, and now you're managing at the Hunt Club. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, what changes? What, like, what's what's it like being a first time manager? It was it was the first time that I was actually pegged as a true manager in college when I was working at a restaurant as a bartender. I was the day manager where they just handed me keys and it was annoying because I just like to come in and drink my Bloody Marys for breakfast and just go about my life. But now I had to open up doors and turn on cash registers and stuff. But at that point, it became in Chicago okay, I see kind of a value in being able to do this. But like so many other restaurant managers, the pay was not great. And I knew that it was a stopgap and I had to move myself beyond it. And the first thing I did was try to move into restaurants from nightclubs and learn very, very quickly, nightclubs don't teach you a lot about hospitality. They teach you how to say, hey, man, I can't do those shoes, or hey, those four girls in line, you can come in. But they surely don't teach you, we value you as a person. So it actually took a lot of deprogramming yeah. of me. You're being paid to check and check. Like, you're, you're, build, you're building energy, and yeah. you're building like the popular Keeping place. standards. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's why, honestly, looking back, I was the most ill-fitted for uh, nightclubs just because I just never fit that myself. You're all welcome. Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah exa- that's exactly <laughs> the, the Oklahoma in me. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's still everybody could come. now. So it wasn't until I went to Toronto and started my own restaurant with a couple people to where I fig- found that the hospitality aspect was really somewhere ingratiated in the back of my mind of being able to truly host the party and make it good. Yeah. So 2001, the hunt club, mm-hmm. were you there for six, seven years? I was there till 2006. Okay. So what, what happened between 2006 and 2008 when you become managing partner of the highway? So that's, <laughs> so I went up, I was my girlfriend at the time, uh, got a job with a company called Circorp in uh, Toronto, very big. They have places called Jack Astor's and Alice Fazuli's and very big. And so I was, I was the tag along, but I had the opportunity to go in. And I decided after running nightclubs for forever, I would get back, see how publishing was working. So I did publishing for about a hot minute and I realized, oh yeah, I forgot. I really hate sitting at a desk. <laughs> this is terrible. Sometimes you got to remind yourself. And, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever told anyone this. Uh, I worked for a bridal magazine. Okay. So it was called Sposa, and it, which I guess in Italian means bride. So I had that, and I would write under pen names, and I'd make, write about how you're, you know, oh, it's your perfect wedding day. It's terrible. <laughs> but at some point, I thought, like a lot of people do, maybe the industry isn't for me. But it was. How and old are you at this point in 2000? I, Not to date oh, you. God, no, you're going to make me do math. At 2000, gosh, that would make me... I was born in we'll 72. Say this, six years, five years. It's out of what, 28, 28, 30. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think that's around the time for most people in the industry, late twenties. Mm-hmm. They're like, right. Am I, am I accurate with time? Yeah. You're, yeah. 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 Like late twenties. Like, do I 
is like a lot of people do we just see this as like a, a for now job right? right and it's like is this really what i want to do long term or do i want to get back to like what i went to school for or like it's like shit or get off the pot time right it's the thing that you always hear as a restaurant manager which is you know i can't wait till i get my real job yeah this and, is my real job. right and you're like this is my real job shut up this is totally what i'm doing but yeah that's i think that all of us at one point have decided, oh, you know what? Maybe the grind is too hard. Maybe there isn't something for me. I'm going to go to real estate or pharmaceutical sales, which seems to be kind of the go through if you're getting out of the industry because I know a lot of people. Great who, sales is, I mean, great. Per, people skills. Like, people skills yeah. set up. There's a set. And so I, a lot of people take that opportunity to think, okay, maybe I should step back out. So when I moved to Canada, I thought about that for a hot minute, realized no. And uh, fortunately fell in line with a restaurant guy that asked me one question for my interview, which was uh, name the three kings. And I'm a musician. And so I said, Albert, Freddie, and BB. And he goes, you have the job. And <laughs> he was a huge blues guy. So we opened a blues bar, barbecue blues bar in Toronto. And that's why I did for years. Yes. And it brought me back in the industry and I never left. There's a little bit of a side lesson there too to hire people that – you think you could get along with completely. Yeah. I've always said it's who you're going to have a beer with. Yeah. Like hire the people that if you saw yourself being able to like hang out with them, especially from a management standpoint, because if you find them off putting, then you're not going to click. Yeah. And the same people who work well with me from a management standpoint don't work necessarily well with somebody else. I know who complements my, my strengths and weaknesses that's totally different from somebody else. Mm, absolutely. So, okay. So you're working, uh, you got five years, six years under your belt yes. as a bouncer. And you go from that to being a partner in a highway at highway 61 barbecue. Correct. Well, it's bouncer, manager, head, senior manager, then moving to, to Canada to highway 61. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Um, thank you for filling that in. So I think now is a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about what it was like to own your first place great today's episode is brought to you by seven shifts seven shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals seven shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations communicate with your team and retain your talent best of all seven shifts integrates with the pos and payroll system you already use and trust like toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free. Head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S.com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. We are back and we have full glasses of bourbon ready to tackle the second half of this interview or maybe even more than maybe the the next three quarters. <laughs> Thank you, Angel's Envy. Yeah. Uh, we'll go with it. So you're, you're, you are in Toronto. You're, mm -hmm. you're a partner. Um, it's, I kind of feel like it's, it's a jump. Honestly, I mean, you have management. How do uh, I get to be a partner? Yeah, like, kind of. I don't like it, it was because really, like, titles are ridiculous, and you don't like. <laughs> well, like, how, who did you know? Why did they pull you in? Like, they kind of like 
give us the dynamic of the relationships here. So the dynamic was simply I met a guy who wanted to open a restaurant. It had always been a dream of his. He had made all of his money in mines, molybdenum mines. That's okay. what he did. And he all he loved was great music and barbecue. Okay. And so he had a chef, and he needed a front-of-the-house component to that. How did you meet this person? I, gosh, that is a great question. I honestly think it was a friend of a friend. I was helping... Uh, someone with a restaurant, they were doing a closing and a remodeling. So I was helping them literally close down their concept and flip it to another. And he introduced me to this person and said, they're looking for someone. All right. Do you want to have a conversation? And then that was when he asked me about the three Kings and we became fast friends because we had the same passions and same love mm-hmm. in music. Yeah. So we opened up this barbecue shop and you ask about regrets in my life. I look back at that barbecue shop as arguably my biggest because if I knew what I know now, that place would still be killing. But what I made so you know? many bad. Yeah, but, this uh, is the goal. This is what uh, I live for. This is what gets me so excited. What do you know now that you didn't know then okay, that the, you wish you the, did? This is the magic. Oh, the biggest thing, it's okay to say no to the guest. Mm, when? Whenever you're out of things, mm-hmm. the perfect example is brisket. Brisket to me is – I grew up in a family and if my mom's listening to this, I love you and I'm so sorry to tell you this. But my mom used to put brisket in a crock pot and it would come out and it would be real tough and it would be kind of inedible. So brisket night sucked in my family because it wasn't very good. Yeah. And I honestly thought that no one really eats brisket until I really started going to barbecue shops. And I realized – if you know what you're doing, brisket is the best thing literally in the entire world. It's my favorite food ever. And if you eat it straight out of the smoker, it's exceptional. Three hours out of the smoker, it begins to lose its ability. Reconstituting it the next day with some sort of unsalted beef broth so that you can keep it and like make sure that you have it, it tastes like crap. So we wanted so desperately – to always have availability and never have an 86, oh, no, we're always going to have everything, that we we sacrifice quality by trying to always have availability. Mm. And that was such a failure. And I look at Franklin's in Austin to where the line starts at 9 a.m. And never somebody, been to Franklin's, lived there oh, for like six months. My God. But I was like, I'm not sitting in that line. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. I, I will tell you, you can't overhype it. It's just that good. But as you know, they go through the line, and somewhere around 1030, they count down, find out what everybody's going to order, and then somewhere at the end, they hand the last person the beer and say, tell everybody else to go away because this is it. Yeah. And it's just we're okay to be, know that we're going to run out of stuff. Yeah. And but there's – sorry, I cut you short. No, Keep you're going. good. Um, so we're literally teaching a costing and profit course in Restaurant Unstoppable Network right now with Rudy Mick. I don't know if you know that name, Rudy Mick. I'm happy to introduce you if you don't. I would love that. Yeah, he's great. Um, and uh, this is something that came up recently in the course is like, you never run out. You sell out. Right. Oh, no, that's huge. Yeah, you you always talk about that you sell out. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. He's absolutely correct. Why? But, well, because it shows that there is some sort of level of excitement about it. Yeah. I mean, not to go completely into left field, but if you look at Studio 54, the famous you know, disco in the late 70s, early 80s, 
they their business model they started by literally not letting anyone in they'd turn on the music and pretend that there was stuff going on but nobody got in not celebrities not anyone and they told so many people no that everybody was clamoring to come in so building the weight there is a huge value in that but when i started my barbecue shop i wanted to make everybody oh you can come in at nine o'clock and get the brisket or the ribs fine but that that meant that you're six hours coming out of the smoker yeah and it wasn't any good yeah and that, coupled with the ability to change the service model from having to have uh, servers and bussers and runners and all of that to being able to do a walk-up and just having people walk up, grab their food when it was available, and then go listen to live music, it probably would have saved us a million dollars. Okay, so I want to really kind of pull back a few more layers on this Um you said that it's okay to, to tell the guests no, meaning it's yes. okay to say that we we sold out. We sold out, or yeah. we've yes. So Absolutely. the big reason why it's okay to sell out is because you don't want to lower quality. Is that was that the, the keystone, or so, was there more to this? So the challenge was is that I was opening in an environment to where I didn't know. It's I was new to Toronto. I didn't understand the the neighborhood. And it was a, it's, it's the beaches area. It's the upper beaches area. It's the nice area of Toronto. And the expectation was, well, people will be very upset if you tell them that they, what they want isn't available. And because of that, it created this, well, we want to make them all happy instead of, no, this is our consistency of who we are. And six o'clock, the brisket comes out and the minute it's gone, it's gone. It wasn't a, we're going to hold to our guns and know exactly what it was. It was trying to never say no to the guest. And it's taken me, damn, 30 years to understand that that no sometimes draws that much more fervor to try to get back the next day at the right time so that you can try that. Yeah, but I think it's just simple, like, how you say things. You know, it's as simple as when you say we ran out that implies that you didn't plan well right exactly when you say that we sold out that means we're so freaking awesome mm-hmm. that we cannot humanly keep up with how great we are exactly <laughs> it's just exactly. a little paradigm shift but know? that that place also had one of the i mean I'm, it's surely googleable but there was a restaurant critic that came in on a night to where they were complaining about our Dakota ribs and big, huge beef ribs and all these other things. And I remember the, I I literally sometimes wake up and think about this table. It was just that level of, they were so up in the middle of the night with like flight, the server exams. No, because I used to be a commercial pilot and I'd have like a, a practical or an exam or like a test. And I'd be like, oh, I wake up like oh, I'm gonna fail. You're like, oh God, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, it's the I forgot table twenty three. The server, that I trust me. So this table is a huge one for me because I remember him telling me that he didn't like the fat cap and he felt that it was bad and everything that we were doing. And I had spent so many months not seeing my girlfriend, not having a life, so so focused on trying to make something that I loved. And I really, really put my passion into it, and he was just crapping all over it at the table. That my response was, "Dude, okay, if you don't like it, I'll not tell you. Um, you can just go. I'm not going to charge you. Just go." Which is a surface level response, but at my, my good God, 18 years ago at that point, at that point, my response was what I was feeling. 
but I happened to do it on the guy that was writing an article unbeknownst to me, and they one-starred us and said what an arrogant, horrible person I was because my response was, fine, you just don't have to pay for it, go away. Mm. And it's because I met aggression with similar aggression, and I was too new and too raw and too close to understand that the real win has nothing to do with being right. It has everything to do with trying to get this person to feel like he's being heard. Mm. And I, I just didn't have the capacity to do that. Yeah. And now if you that, built this person's ego up, like, Oh, tell me more. About oh what yes. You know what? I really appreciate your, and don't oh, get I didn't me, even know that. And don't get me like, wrong. Yeah. This person was a jerk, yeah. total, total horrible jerk. But it's but, not about you and your ego. It's about them and their ego. Like literally the, the thing in my book about, I wouldn't feed it to my dog is the exact same thing he said to me. Yeah. So my response was very visceral and very, because I was hurt and, I just didn't have the capacity or the training or the understanding to not internalize it. Yeah. I, I fucking hope that the restaurant industry changes the world. And I, it's funny because I say all the time, my, our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Mm-hmm. But I believe that if we can transform the industry, we can transform the world because this, this industry is the high road. you know. And if we can teach people like we can show people grace, you know? Yes. Uh, and, and I feel like that's what we do every day. And I think that's what we have to have in the back of our mind is like, I'm going to take the high road. Tell me about what I could do to make this better. Like, and just, but also you have to like, you have to hit a switch in your, your head where you actually give a fuck about yes. what they're saying to you. And that's hard to do. That's really hard to do, especially when you're being, criticized yes the first thing that comes into your mind when you're being criticized is fuck you fuck at 100 percent. like oh you don't like it? get out <laughs> yeah, yeah. and i mean and that there's that is a visceral response and and that's kind of the challenge is that if you try to hammer out that level of you know fuck you go away yeah then the response of that means that you're telling people to not care that much about the restaurant and have personal investment. So you don't want to hammer that out. You have to understand the psychology of why people do what they do and then look at the empathetic aspects of what that looks like. Okay, what is the psychology of why somebody would tell you that they wouldn't feed their food, your food to their dog? Because they're, the two steps back response is that they feel that they've been disrespected or out of control and that lack of control means that there's somebody who doesn't feel control in their life, and they're asserting themselves in small ways that allow them to, to feel regain. like that they to, to regain that in positions to where that they know that no one will fight them back. These are people that feel marginalized in their home lives. They're probably in jobs that they are not super excited about. They're people that feel they have to tee off as servers like servants, yeah. and because of that. They're amazingly small people. And if you understand that they are literally five-year-olds, then... Compassion. Then, then all you're feeling is, yeah, I know you feel that bad. You got to have, like, you gotta you be like, well, you poor thing. Like, and then yeah. that's, I think what you got to say, like, are you really acting like this right now? Right. You poor thing. Yeah. You poor it's, thing. I'm so sorry that your life sucks that bad to where you want to, you want to scream. You don't want to say that, but like how to get yourself there in the right wavelength, right. you know, to, to, to handle it well is you poor thing. Like you have to, cause it's the only way that you don't, don't say that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, it, but it's the only way that you don't internalize it yeah. because otherwise if you're the person who's taken body blows every single time and saying, no, the restaurant is great. This is fantastic. And you become that person. Then 
by God, you're going to go home eviscerated and exhausted every single day and you'll burn out in a year because all you're doing is trying to be on the side of right. And it's not the psychology of why you're doing what you're doing. It's being able to figure out people's motivations and curtailing your communication to where they feel that they are being heard whether or not that they are correct. Yeah, I love this. And I'm loving these rabbit holes, uh, but to bring it back to <laughs> we, we are never, the chronological. We're never going to get out of no, 2005. Man, we're, we're, <laughs> we are dropping gold as we go. This is great. I'm loving it. So you said that you learned so many things that if you knew now, you would have been a millionaire. The, the things you dropped on us, it's okay to say no. Right. Uh, it's a, because, you know, specifically, it's okay to sell out. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned something about um, walking up, doing like a, a process of like walk up. Yeah. Um, what was, I guess what I'm getting at is what are the other things? that you learned the other the other do me a favor like just list them okay so we can make sure we get it so so i don't manage my time if we're we're going back (laughs) it would be first off an 86 list hands down second uh being able to adjust the service level to where it didn't have to be full service it's a barbecue restaurant didn't need to have servers and runners and bussers and all of those things and understanding that the culture of what we were trying to do would be a lot more authentic if it was a little bit more hold to our guns instead of always trying to be ingratiating. And it's, this is what we do. This is our barbecue instead of making it so milk toast. And so I think that those are the things that I don't know if I understand. So um, understanding that the culture of what we're trying to do, so, so the, the understanding of the culture of making it be something that was available at 10 p.m. as well as 5 p.m., making it be something that was that we never had an 86 list, that we were we were afraid to be able to say to people, no. Yeah. And that's the I, I guess that if I were to go back and redo that concept. Besides the the labor savings of someone walking up to a counter at a bartender that says, what are you drinking and how many ribs do you want? And doing that and just having it come out of the kitchen and not burning labor on runners and you know people marking your tables and all this other stuff. And understanding that it's okay for people, even in upper echelon areas, to go just fetch their food and just go sit at a table and be happy. It's the ability to continue to say – no, this is who we are. Music's going to be loud. This is what we like. This is who we are. If you if you like it, great. If not, go somewhere else. Yeah. And the people who are like us, who like this, will, will come back. And right. I think it's okay. I think that's like the benefit of being in a big city like Chicago or Toronto, where you have such a mass amount of people that you're going to find your niche. You're going to find the people who like what you have. Exactly. Um, so just be true to it and cater to that 20%. That's going to be 80% of your revenue. Correct. Right? Uh, so... You mentioned, okay, being so one thing I think to kind of pull back a few more layers in this idea of being able to walk up and to change your service level, your service style. Mm-hmm. I, I think the reason why like full service is such a thing or was such a thing from like the 60s to like the early 2000s is because we were taught anybody who opens a restaurant was likely working in restaurants and they just transferred the, the set of skills. Right. Right. And, and, and now we're, we're starting to look at it. We're like, why are we doing the same shit over and over again? Like, why not do counter service? Like, why not? And then plus we have technology to, that we can leverage like a B bot, like, like 
like pagers, like all these different things we can do to be more efficient with like, like literally like geo tracking, like pagers where like you can look at a screen and be like, Oh, this person's at, they got this pager, that pager. Oh, they're in the bathroom right now. Right. Gross. Why did they bring the pager <laughs> in the bathroom? But still, like, well, like we have did. all these tools. Like, why not streamline it? Why not leverage these technologies? Why not do what's more efficient? And efficiency is value added. No? True. But I think that it, at least in the situation of the barbecue restaurant, it had a lot more to do with the fact that because of the socioeconomic area that we're in, we felt that the guest would not respond positively if there wasn't a blanket of labor on top of them doing everything to where that they felt that they were totally taken care of instead yeah. of a little DIY aspect, yeah. which thinking back on it goes completely counter to the down home gritty blues that we were playing and who we were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, that is probably arguably my if, – if I had to pick my top three regrets in the world, that's right up there is that we could have done that better. Yeah. Um, so the other thought that came into my mind um, is that this industry, like back to the – we just do what we've been told to do. We mm-hmm. just kind of you know pay forward the traditions. But there's so many different ways to, to, to make money in this industry now. And one of the things I hope we do more of is more membership models of people just paying up front. You know, for like what specific food for experience, for like whatever it is. Maybe I just came from, I hope I say this right. Um, it's, it's, I just interviewed Kevin Bam. I hope I'm saying his name right too, but, uh, I always am afraid to say his name because it's spelled B O in my head. I'm a senior written in it, but there's like a hard a sound to it. So it's so funny, but like he is one of his newest projects. Um, I'm ex- the name of the concept that I was literally just there is escaping me, but it's basically this idea. It, it's a, it's a wellness like cafe, private dining. There's a hospital attached to it. So like over on this, this, what's that? Is this Boca group? Boca group. Yeah. But this isn't one of their concepts. It's, it's different. A medium, medium. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it's called. Um, I'm so embarrassed, but anyway, it's this idea that it's it's all membership based. It's a club. Yeah. It's a club. And like you're paying for, it's a wellness club Mm -hmm. with like, they're selling medicine. They're selling all these things. It's a cafe. It's a place to go. There's a doctor that's associated with it where like they have tiers of memberships. Yes. And like, we just don't think like this in the industry. But the cool thing about like a membership model is that you say, Oh, I have a thousand members. They're paying me a hundred dollars a month to be a part of this. Like, you instantly know that you have ten thousand dollars a month. Is that Matt? Is a hundred thousand? It's a hundred thousand. Carry it too. Sure. Yeah, hundred yeah. times a hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hundred thousand. Yeah, dollars a month. A hundred people. Sure. Paying I, you a hundred. Is that right? I'm so bad at math. I'm dyslexic <laughs> too. Hundred times a hundred. Are you pulling out your phone to do that? I'm, on your, you don't like count I, four zeros. <laughs> yeah, <just>, it's it's <laughs> ten thousand dollars. All month. right. That, yeah, hundred thousand seems a little lot, but like ten thousand dollars a month of money you can bank on. Sure. Uh, so like that to be able to project into the future, like why don't we do more of things See, like that? You know, you say membership models and I, I cringe and here's why okay. is that, and I guess this moves our trajectory forward after the visa expired and cause I was trying to get permanent residency in Toronto, but as that was coming through, I had to move back to the U S while that was coming in you know, to fruition. And I took a job as the national director of operations for Topgolf. And Topgolf 
focused on that membership model in its first infancy. And what they did was you got to have this membership model and then you got to jump the queue and go in first in your little area. And that was great. But the popularity was so huge that there were two and a half hour waits for people to go play because there was only at that point when I joined them, three locations in the U S and three in the, and they had the same, the, the same mindset that said, if you sell a membership, then it's guaranteed revenue. But the level of access became more and more challenged as more and more regular making everything because you only have say 20 spots to drive. Right. right? But you have a queue of 200 people. So now you're limited. And they're just jumping ahead. They're pissing off 200 people that are, they're waiting in line. And meanwhile, you're losing that ability to turn those bays faster because if it was just a walk up response, much like if you have a restaurant that is so popular that you don't have to take reservations, that you just the minute it's open you can stick somebody in. Yeah, so it's a vol- at this point it's a volume issue. One hundred. So they're they're they could have their memberships, but at the same time you're losing how much money is standing in line, yep. right? And creating bad first experiences. Yes. Yeah. Without question. So, yeah. so there's a balance. Like everything, there's a balance. I think you get a strike. You get to figure it out. I, and I think that when you get to a membership model, you really, really have to figure out what that looks like. I know I'm familiar with the concept that you're talking about here in Chicago, what they're doing. Um, but that serves a very particular niche market that is willing to pay that premium and get access to that facility. That's different from something that's a lot more approachable by the guest that a membership would throw a huge cog in what is otherwise pretty straightforward, you know, seating. I think it's, it's buy-in, B-N, B-N, buy-in, mm-hmm. B-I-N. Sorry, guys. No, you're all right. You're all right. <laughs> that's the name of the concept that I'm referring to. Uh, it's just interesting. I think, I don't know. I've, I, I, I have a I have a doctor who's a friend who's we, connected to it, so I, I that, yeah that one I know that's and and it's a, it's a brilliant concept yeah but they're they're like they're riding so many waves right now as far as trends go as far as wellness and health and just it's interesting sure but anyway I digress we got to move this conversation along I mean to tell you or we're still again we're in we're in hours we, into this we're, conversation we're, we're still ten I'm really enjoying ten it years back yeah <laughs> so 2011 director of operations for Front Golf. Dallas, Texas. Top so, golf, yeah. sorry, Top Golf. Top Golf. Why the hell did I write down Frank Golf? You can do front. You can uh, do Top Golf. Top Dallas. Side, so what, side Golf. What ended up happening with before we just leave the barbecue joint? Why? Why did you leave? Uh, that was had everything to do with visas. So, uh, the person I was with at the time, she had a visa that had expired, and we had geez, sixty to days to pick up and go, yep. and it was time to make it to the U.S. And I. Uh, connected up and got the position with Top Golf, and then moved to Dallas. Yeah, the one thing we didn't touch on that you mentioned is things you wish you knew was an eighty-six list. What's that? Uh, I wish. Well, the eighty-six list being that the things that you're out of and being okay with it. So it goes back to the barbecue aspect of being okay to say that you're so, sold out versus that you are out of. Okay, cool. And, I just want to make sure we touched on that. Yes. Yeah. All right. So you are forced to leave Toronto. Um, yes, why pretty Dallas, basically. Why Dallas, Texas? That's where the job was. Okay. How and, did you find this job? Uh, I found it through a somebody that I had worked with in another concept. He was a head in the company, and he said, would you like to come and be a GM of our Dallas location? And so I said, sure. And then went down to go work at Top Golf in Dallas, 
and then you know within about a year was promoted to national director of operations okay um you were there for two years. Yeah. It, National it, Director of Operations. Why uh, would you walk away from that? It, I didn't walk away. I got fired. Oh, man. I'm, I'm Here's gonna, the story. I'm going to help. You know, that's that's part of the thing that I actually, now I shamelessly will talk about the book. That's one of the things I talk about in the book is that you have to understand that sometimes jobs are like relationships. You you're, you didn't marry the girl that you fell in love with in high school. You, you Things work or they don't, and it's either a good connection or it isn't. Sometimes you break up and sometimes they break up. And they were right. I was not the right person for that position. Why weren't you right for that position? Oh, because for so many reasons. Um, I wasn't right for the position because it was focused on the game first and the F&B second, which to me drove me bonkers. Um, it was focused on the experience, on, it, which yeah, is the, it, well, the game was the focus that, that's the where game. the money is. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, it wasn't a good fit because I wasn't good at communicating with senior level people who were investors and, you know, owners and the, in a way to where I didn't bring an ego to it. I didn't have that, that capacity. What was your ego telling you? Well, I mean, I've always lived in a world to where I thought if you're nice to me and you're smiley, then somehow that's going to mean that you like me and that I'm doing a good job. And that is a terrible business model if you're trying to build an empire. Mm -hmm. And people communicate in different ways. And I was too transfixed on what it is to communicate as, you know, everyone being smiley and wonderful. And that company and I mean, I love that company. It is a fantastic, unbelievable, but it moved a million miles an hour. I remember sitting in a room in, at, at one of the manager meetings to where somebody stood up and said, we are in three years going to have a location in Vegas, and it's going to be part of this. It's literally going to be a stop on the tram, and this is going to be and, – and I remember looking at the person next to me going, there's no shot at this happening. And you know what? They totally did it. They totally – because – they lived in yes, and at that point I was living in no. So they recognized that and decided that I wasn't a good fit because it wasn't a good shot. You weren't aligned. I was not aligned. Yeah. The only thing that I take back that I take from that that was so amazing is that we looked at the hospitality aspect and we looked at how can we improve that. And the CEO of the company came to me and said, "Ken, you can work with anybody in the world that you want." to try to improve the hospitality. And they allowed me to go pick my mentor, which is Danny Meyer. And I, I went to Union or what's a hospitality quotient and I did their classes and then I connected with them. And then I worked with them to go train literally every single staff member. We did 36 trainings back to back, both in the U S and the UK. And this is when Topgolf had like literally three locations in the U S and three in the UK. But we just went around and we retrained everybody on the guest journey. And it began to change the conversation from a hospitality standpoint. And if you've been to a Top Golf now, you know that those people that work there are bought in. So what what did you went through this program, the Meyer program? Mm -hmm. Um what were the biggest takeaways that they uh, taught you? Uh greed, guard, give, guard. Uh, Greet, give, guard, goodbye. It was a it was a level response greet, of greet, give, uh, guard, uh, bye, goodbye. Greet, give, guard, goodbye. It was a 
it was a set of being able to maximize what you're doing when you're communicating with somebody and how you can make your communication with somebody better. So if you are standing behind a counter and someone comes over to you and wants whatever, they want to you know, play a game, then you have an opportunity to make connection points and to make associations and to give them to guard their experience. So you're talking about like ABC, always be connecting the dots and all that. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Exactly. But, but in a way to where it was tangible and we gave them, you know, recognizable results on how to be able to make that happen. And it, it really worked. And it was a fantastic aspect of my time there of being able to work with my mentor, with this company that was growing. And to this day, if you walk into a top golf, you're going to be met with somebody who's got this just, unbelievable smile and enthusiasm on their face because they're bought into the cult. They so love it. This is journey great. you're talking. This is the journey. The greet, give, guard, goodbye mm-hmm. is the journey. So you're, you're basically setting up stopping points greet, or give, guard, yeah. guide, goodbye. Greet, give, guard, guide, goodbye. There you greet, go. Give, guard, guard, goodbye. G- guide, goodbye. Greet, you know, give, give, guard, guide, guide goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> so greet, hello, Give yeah. give them information, guard their experience by making sure if they wanted to do two hours, but you knew that that wasn't going to be great for them, so you gave them a different response. Guide guide them to their space or make them feel supported. Goodbye. That was kind of the five. We call so it it's the, the five guest days. journey exactly. And this is for each visit. So you help set up like these stages, kind of mm-hmm. like a if you're looking at a, a restaurant or a kitchen, right? Right. You have the the zones of a kitchen um this is the zone of the customer experience right and you're setting up standard operating procedures for each of those those life cycles it allowed people to be able to look at their communication with the guest and understand how they could maximize it and it's no different than the 10 steps or however many approach that you use when you're communicating in a table but for this concept it was how can you give somebody the best experience and guard them in a way to where they feel supported. And it, again, the, the thing that Top Golf did better than I've seen most any concept do is that everybody who's associated with it loves it. Mm. They're bought in. They they believe in it. And what they provide is an exceptional concept that they are they're overwhelmed. It's it's almost like in the and I use this term in the best way possible. It's a cult. It's a oh my god. What's a cult? So, what is a cult though? Like it's in the word. It's culture. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> we I should all be this. trying to build our own fucking cult. Right. Like, it sounds weird, but that's the, what we're aiming for. Yep. We're aiming for a set of beliefs in in values that everyone buys into and they drink the Kool-Aid. They're on board. Like, where are you taking me? Where are you taking me? I'm on board. That's exactly what it is. So, and that's the growth model of what that company. So if I had anything to do with it in the infancy of that, then great. But as it was growing, I was a bad fit. And so when I got fired from it, yeah, they were right. It took me a while to understand that I was right. But they were right. So you, they were going too fast. You weren't bought into the vision. I was not bought into the vision. What was it about the vision that didn't click with you? I was in no, see, and so again, not to shamelessly plug, plug the book, but I call it the boulder theory. There's two types of people in the world. There are people that are going to drive something 
really, really fast. Some people call it alpha. It's that, oh my God, we're going to do this. I don't care. I don't want to hear about the risks. I just want to make this happen. And then there are the people that are the cautious, that are like, okay, well, this could go the other way, or let's make sure that we figure this out. Have you considered this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that level of, oh my God, we're going to make this happen, if you have that and you don't have that counterbalance, yes, of course, you're going to run into a ditch every once in a while. My problem is I live too much in the, oh, we need to wait. We need to make sure. We, and because of that, I slowed the process. Yeah. You're you know, grinding the I, gears. I, I was grinding the gears because I wanted to be right. I wanted to do it slowly. And you see that with restaurant groups, restaurant groups that jump 10, 15, 20 locations in a year or restaurant groups that jump one location in a year. I, I mean, but I lean towards that direction that you're going, but I think that there, like one thing I've learned for sure is that no two scenarios are exactly the same And with something like, um, top golf, mm-hmm. they're leading edge. They're like, Oh, this is a concept. We're first to market, whatever if that is the case or not, but they have to move fast because they have, they're looking for market ownership. They're looking to like get there and to be the top dog. Sure. And but, but there are things to be wary of when it comes to scaling fast though. Because when you scale fast, it's hard to transfer that culture. It's hard to, you know, you're just taking anybody who's willing to join your team, but are they, are they aligned? You know, so I get where you're coming from with wanting to be hesitant and wanting to slow, grow slowly. But in a scenario where you're first to market and there's right. going to be people that want to replicate what you're doing in different markets, you got to move fast. And so I get it, that. And that's the difference. If you open an Asian concept and then that's your restaurant and you're going to do that, there's a, a million Asian co- concepts. Yeah. So you're not doing anything that's first to market. But if you're the first place that's opening a golf facility that has gamification that is easily replicable, replicable. Well, it, but even, I mean, even then there was a level of, okay, the time's ticking before somebody can come along and ghost exactly what we're doing. Yeah. So yeah, that's when you're a trendsetter that, which is exactly what that company is. You do have that level of, we have to make that happen sooner, quicker, faster versus a restaurant, which if you're an Italian restaurant or whatever, there are, there are a billion Italian restaurants. Yeah. Okay. So you move on. It's not well, a right fit. I, again, we are, I can't believe how far back we are still before now. It's great. I love this. No, man. This is great. Um, we're, we're unpackaging it. Elements of your book are coming out as we go, which I love. Uh, so you're here for uh, two years. It wasn't a good fit. Mm. You tuck your tail. I um, you find yourself in New Orleans. I did. <laughs> you're all over the, the, the map at this point. I really am. What, what's going on in New Orleans? Why, why in New Orleans? Why? Uh, again, this had to do with my then girlfriend. She uh, found a position. And is this three separate girlfriends now? Nope, still the same one. Okay, and, just- <laughs> and you know what? I didn't marry her. It's totally different. Uh, you met my wife, and uh, yeah, she's that's my. I met her in Chicago. I was I was telling her how jealous I was that the guys like I'm, I'm saying I need to find somebody in this industry. You, now oh. you've gotten two that are in the industry. Oh, I I call my wife the unicorn because <laughs> that does not exist. She's in the industry. She understands my hours. She understands what I do. She gets it. It's it's very. This is why rock stars marry rock stars. Yeah, is that you have to understand somebody from the industry in order to get the industry. alignment. It's oh. what we we're talking about before, like with a, oh, without question. It's all about. Oh, yeah, I won't okay. get into that. But okay, so. Uh, <laughs> so, Fulton Alley managing so partner Nora. Fulton Alley. That was a uh, it was a bowling concept, and it was a bowling concept that 
also had a mixology standpoint that was run by um, the two guys that won the James Beard Award for 2019 um, for Kirko out of New Orleans. So it it's uh, Kirk Estampinal and uh, Neil Bodenheimer. And they are unbelievable. They started Violet Hour in New Orleans. They work for Danny Meyer. They are they are killers, and they are amazingly positive, unbelievable places. And they are, I mean, they're doing Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. These these are great. Uh, I can't tell you how much I love these guys. And the opportunity to work with them to go open up a bowling alley, great. Of all things, you would think a bowling alley, but it was a elevated cocktail program in a place that you wouldn't necessarily expect it. And we did that as well as the... Uh, the food aspect, very great food, and um, then the gaming. And once again, I found myself in that same spot. There was a point in my life to where I thought game and F&B was what I was going to do. That it was going to be, I'm going to be associated with a place that does games, but then the F&B is great, but it's secondary. And there's a point in my life to where I realized I can't do that. Why? Why? Well, because it's hard to have hospitality while people are throwing, you know, gutter balls. They don't. They don't want a table touch. They don't want you talking about how. Oh, do, do you mind if I ask you how you're enjoying our popovers? They they don't care. How are balls rolling? Exactly. Yeah. Are they are they are they delicious balls? <laughs> All of this. There's no sort of thing that translates to. Oh yeah, this is total hospitality. It was. An augment. So you're taking your strength, which is hospitality, and injecting it into a vertical that's not a hospitality focus. Correct. I mean, it's I I kind of run into this a little bit in a similar way when it comes to hotels that open up restaurants that are amenities instead of actual freestanding. I don't want to be associated with amenity. I don't want to be associated with something that's secondary. Mm. It's the primary aspect. It's, that's the driver that that's, makes people go, okay, I, I want to go to that place. And the bowling aspect is bowling. And as great as bowling is, that's not, that's not ideal. Yeah. Um, so this is the second operation you're involved in that you're a partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people – see, the thing about, the thing about titles – is that people will give them to you all day long. So was this just a title or were you actually an equity No, partner? I was I, – uh, well, here's – and I talk about this a lot with people who will come to me and say, they're going to make me a title. They're going to give me a partnership. I'm like, well, does that mean that you get equity? And they're like, well, I get a percentage. Well, is that signed or does that live on in perpetuity after you leave? Is that three after three years? Right. Yeah. And is there also a capital investment to where if it goes down that you have to pay into it? What does this truly mean? Or is this just some sort of adorable title that it gave you? Makes you feel special. That makes you feel special. Yeah. What and was this? Exactly. And how oh, to be honest, probably a lot more of the the to make you feel special. Because I didn't I didn't walk away with any percentage of the company yeah like i'm leaving give me my cut right yeah but but that's the thing is that and and i run into this so much with senior managers is that they're like oh they're gonna make me a partner great did you have to put any money in 
No. Well, you have no skin in the game. Yeah. So are you are you a partner because you are a piece of the puzzle that they are missing because you're some right. God's gift chef to the the industry and like they don't have that element. So you're like yeah. Right. You get a one of the biggest lessons I've learned during this podcast is partnerships need agreements. Agreed. He, like yeah. legal agreements. Like partnership and, agreements. It's a, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And sweat equity is bullshit. There's, there's just not. I don't care how much, oh, no, I'm going to work this and I'm going to get this and in five years. No, you're not. It's If you don't put money in the beginning, then you're not putting yourself out there in order to run the highs, the lows, the capital calls, the, you know, the, all of it that would allow you to go, okay, I'm an actual partner. Mm-hmm. So at that point, yeah, I think that in my career, I took it because that was a great title. It looks fantastic on a resume, but that's the thing is that titles only look good on resumes. I have a great title. Doesn't mean shit. Doesn't yeah. it? But I mean, so one of the reasons why I was really intrigued to get you on the show is because I speak to a lot of founders, restaurateurs, people who have visions and execute those visions. But at the same time, I feel like there's a real career path in this industry for directors of operations, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever the title might be, DO, like the same thing as director. But you know what I'm saying? Like, and I don't get a lot of that perspective and I don't, I, I hear from the restaurateur perspective of the owner, like what, what's your best interest but what's also what's the perspective of the career director of operations the career whatever title it is you know what i'm trying to say i do so what what should we if we are listening to this and like you know i love this industry mm-hmm. i'm a hospitalitarian to like the t mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if i want to own a restaurant though like this is a lot of risk i'm not a risk taker i just right. want to do what i love what what for that person that's listening right now Similar to the path that you've taken, you know, I mean, you you had equity situations, mm-hmm. but what's your advice to that person? I mean, it, it is a perfect situation figuring out where people are and why they are where they are. If you are a restaurant manager, as I mentioned, it is literally boot camp. You're doing it because you want something greater, but that greater might just be much like is what I've had in my my life a title. It doesn't necessarily get you equity it doesn't give you retirement it doesn't get you where you want to be is a title enough i mean a title will only get you to your next position so if it's if the title is great then congratulations you have a fantastic title that will only possibly open the door to a next position i honestly i think that the the challenge is as we're developing with this industry we have to figure out as a as a restaurant manager, as a restaurant GM, what that ultimately looks like. And opening up a restaurant with your own money is brutal. Finding people that will back you to be able to do a concept is great. I've been very fortunate by being able to align with people that not only have national recognition, but have capital and investment and infrastructure in whatever markets that we're going into to where the risk is relatively low. That's not the same for if you have been a manager for five years and a GM for five and you want to go open up your own place. It, there's, no, there's no cushion. There's no guarantee. It, I, I fortunately have 
aligned. And I think that that's probably the best aspect of figuring out how other people do it. Because after I became a GM and then it was a director of operations, I started getting in with people who talked about things that never made sense to me. Like literally, I'll be in meetings. People talk about, well, you know what? Our TI is 125 a square foot. And I'm like, what the? What is TI? And then I'll what be like, TI? what is TI? It's, it's a great question. You know, oh, well, yeah. And all of these different aspects of what they do for, oh, well, you know, does that uh, rent have CAM? And I'm like, I, I don't know. What is CAM? And I, and I realize I'm learning things on a different level from a real estate, from an acquisition level that as a restaurant manager, I never was exposed to. Yeah. That's the thing as an owner, as a restaurateur, like there's just so many things there's like opening restaurants is not the same as running restaurants. Correct. It's not the same. It's a complete different path. Uh, and there's just, yeah, I mean, I'm picking up what you're putting down is it's like, do you want to be a specialist and focus on operations and leadership and, and, Focusing like I think that's like what a manager is or a director of operations is is this restaurant efficiencies communication process procedure leadership culture that sort of thing and then restaurant tour real estate uh, vision what's the market doing where's the industry going can I be ahead like you you need to be plugged into so many things if you're on the floor every day managing leading doing all these things, operations, you don't have the time to be plugged into trends or, and what's going on over there. Like, Or the understanding of scalability to where what you're doing, how is that going to reflect to if you're going to do this and how it's going to look for the next five concepts that you want to be a part or of. Or do you like to create things or do you just want one thing to like manage and have that be, do you want to go deep or do you want to go create new things? Correct. Some people just want to create. They're creators. They're like, they, they build the restaurant and they're like, oh, it's done. It's built. What now? Yep. They want to do the next thing. So there's so many different like makes and models of human beings, you know, like it depends on what, what's right for you. Um, so I think that's what we're talking about. We are. Yeah. Yeah. So like for you, what, what's your ideal situation? Well, my ideal situation is kind of where I'm at is that I am aligned with a, my, my major client and the, really my major focus is the Fabio Viviani hospitality group. And the joyous nature of that is that I can walk in and go, I don't know. Yeah. But I have enough strength around me of people that are just absolute killers that can go, we can get you there. And the, it's the old Henry Ford model that says surround yourself with your weaknesses and then that's how you grow strength. But so many people say that they do that, but the few people that actually do it succeed because they they're able to acknowledge weakness. Self-awareness. Oh, I mean, people are so afraid to ask for help and say, I don't know. So years ago when I started working with this, you know, with the Viviani group, there were things that I'm like, I don't, I don't have a clue. I get, so and then I we, began we to are leaving a dyna- dynamic. Yes. Director of Di- operations. I was uh, exactly for years. That's how I, that's how I met Fabio. Yeah. So, I mean, is it, I mean, we said you are talking about your ideal situation now Mm -hmm. where you have the support of your main client, the Fabio group. Sure. uh, Fabio, what's his name? Fabio Viviani. Yeah. Yes. What's the name of his restaurant group? Oh, it's Fabio Viviani Hospitality. Okay. How many restaurants are there right now? 30 plus. So how did Dynamic get you on the radar of Fabio Viviani? So uh, Dynamic Hospitality actually partners with Fabio. So a lot of what Fabio does is he partners with existing restaurant groups. 
so that they already have the infrastructure. They have the social media and the communication and all the inroads to where he brings his aspect into that. What is his aspect? Well, his aspect, like, for example, here in uh, Chicago was two guys that had exceptionally successful and awesome uh, nightclub-driven things and wanted to pivot to more of a restaurant. And so they partnered with Fabian, and then they opened that, yeah. and it became uh, Siena Tavern is one of the most massively successful places in Chicago. When I tell people I'm with Fabio, one of the first questions I get, and I'm talking about being in the back of a taxi, is someone will look at me and go, can you get me a reservation there? It's just that level of, oh, my God, what, a, what an amazing place. And so they built an empire here. I was fortunate enough to be a part of that when I returned back to Chicago to be a part of the building of what is Prime Provisions, which is their five-star, five-dining steakhouse. And then that's where I really got to work with Fabio. And then I was the director of operations for that company for years. And so then when I started my own company, after I had a couple clients, Fabio and I reconnected. And that's kind of how we started building the things that we are together. But Dynamic itself is such an incredibly successful company here in Chicago that being able to come from it and be a part of it was just just an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're pretty much at real time right now as far as the chronological journey goes through the interview, correct? We are almost to now. Okay. So now we obviously – now is Corgan Hospitality. So correct. you're teaching all these lessons you've accrued over your – uh, going back to what was the first day I have on here? 2000, 1995. So we're looking at, uh, well, you are in the, well, I mean, if you're going to count like Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> well, you, should, you count we, Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, it's a, we're in 1988 if you're counting Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> so we'll say like 25 years, give or take a year or two of experience compiled into Corgan Hospitality. Sure. Um, what is your focus with Corgan Hospitality? So the term consultant is the biggest pejorative in the industry. Everybody I know that has a gap in their resume always writes that they were a consultant in the middle. And consultants, by and large, just walk into a place and go, okay, that's wrong, and that, that, that's bad, and this is bad. Give me a check, and then they leave. Yeah. And there's no real benefit to what they do. And you can ask most major restaurants, and they'll tell you that if they've used a consultant – that they're not totally excited about what they were doing and that the results weren't at all worth it's transactional. It is transactional and it is ba- it's an alarm. It's exactly so what you're paying for perspective. You're paying for somebody to just go, eh, that's wrong. Yeah. But I, so when we started Corgan, I kind of flipped it on its head and said, okay, so we're going to first create a business model that we're going to sit down and have a conversation and figure out what your challenge is. And then I'm going to spend a day in your venue. And I'm going to tell you, you know, okay, what I see. And I'm going to give you an entire list of all the things that if this were my restaurant, these are the things that I would do. And then I'm going to tell you exactly how to do those things yourself. And if you have the capacity to do that, God love you. Because at the end of the day, if I help a restaurant and I make zero money, but I help a restaurant because I gave them a direction and they got better. I feel better about it. That's, that's my love to the industry. If they don't have the bandwidth to do the things that I have suggested, that's where I come in. 
And I give them a list, much like a menu, to where they can go through and say, I want to do this and this and this and not that and this and this and not that. And then we pick through those things and go from there. But they're measurable. Mm. The number of times I've had people come to me and say, oh, I I totally want to make my service better. Okay, great. How are you measuring that? Is that based on Yelp reviews? Is it based on secret shopper reports? What is it that – You got to track it. Yeah, exactly. You need some system to track progress. You don't know if you're doing better or worse unless you compare yourself to a other a, a later version of yourself. Correct. So I can't charge you for better service. I can I can show you the 15 paths from training to development to coaching that will improve that, but I can't guarantee that your level of service is or going your to, level of discipline to commit to what I'm telling you to do is going to be there as soon as I walk out the door. Which is so huge because you run into restaurants that have functioned in a certain way. Uh, it's so surprising to me the number of places that I've gone to to where they don't do inventory. Mm. Or they use jobbers to where... Well, they do inventory, but it's once a month. Uh, exactly. And you're yeah. like, okay, you're missing so much money on the tape. But that's just who they are. And I explain the logic of why they shouldn't do that, but nothing changes and nothing develops. And... That's been the hardest thing to for me to understand in picking clients is people who are truly willing to change. Because if you've been doing the same thing for 20 years, I can tell you how you're going to make more money and be better. But if you're not willing to like re-examine that and fundamentally change how you're doing what you're doing, execute. you are going to continue to, to yeah. not be. I, it's not about what you know. It's about can you execute what you know. I agree. And like and that's the hard part. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're getting f- with with what you provide your services, Corgan Hospitality is a, not just here's what's wrong, but I'm going to stick around a little while to show you to make sure you can execute. Sure. And at the end we sit down and we say are we good? Yeah. Do you and I agree? Is this what we've created and we're okay with that? Yeah. Because otherwise it's just another person that's telling you what's wrong with with no real response. So before we get into the speed round, I do you want to give a couple of nods and thank you so much for this signed from from yourself and from Fabio. It's the first nod. one you actually yeah. have it. There it is. Fa- you can see there the you signatures. Fa- so Fabio signed it and I signed <laughs> it. So you're the first one that actually yeah. has the double signature. Right. So here we are. It's the surprise restaurant manager. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the inspiration behind this book? It's the same conversations that I had. Every single place that I went to, whether it was a place that we were aligned with and I had to go in and do a SWOT analysis or it was a new Corgan venture, it was the same conversation. So, oh, so you're being you, – you're having a labor dispute with this person because he fired them. Well, was there a witness? Well, there should have been. Oh, did you ask this person if they had kids in your interview? Guess what? You shouldn't do that. Yeah. That's not right. Yeah. Oh, it's all the shit you would never know because you would never be expected to know the shit. And surprise, you're the manager. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, when I, when I was in college and somebody handed me keys and said, you get to open up now, you're the manager. Nobody gave me any training. The, the entirety of this entire book should be called All the Things I Have Screwed Up My Entire Life. Yeah. Because I've done them all wrong Dude. and realized. <laughs> I just have this image in my, my head. Sorry if I cut you short. No, no, you're good. So I think, honestly, like uh, this is a great book. And one of the Thank reasons you. why I really enjoy this book is because it's, di- it's easily digestible. Each chapter is like uh, maybe the longest chapter is six pages long. Yep. So you can pick it up. It gets straight to the point. It tells you what you need to know. There's not a lot of banter around the point. It's like, here's the point. Uh, you can pick it up and start anywhere in the book and, and pull something away. You don't have to read it left to right. 
but honestly, there, there's a lot of there's not a, there's more and more restaurant resources out there that are focused on how to be a, a successful restaurateur. This is how to be a successful manager, and there's not a lot of resources out there for that person. And I think that what would be really cool, and I'm not just trying to sell, help you sell books, but I think everybody who's listening to this podcast should get a stack of ten of these books. And every time they promote somebody to manager, this book being handed to them is the job. That'd be amazing. Hey, that surprise! That you're a restaurant manager, and this should be a right a passage to get into to management in the restaurant industry. Because, I mean, it's kind of like if I'm if I'm writing a book, this is how I would write it. It's like all the lessons I've accrued over 800 episodes, the most important ones, listed in a short essay to tell you how to know that part of it. Sure. But this is specific to management. Um, the, the big part about this book that I really like is that it focuses a lot on people skills and really just like how to communicate with your, your staff and how to, how to go from that. I, I am. It's weird in the restaurant industry to go from I'm serving people, I'm a part of the team, to I'm the leader of the team. Yep. And like a lot of social dynamics that you're just not familiar with, like going out and how many drinks should I have? What, who should I talk to? What are, what are the, 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 the industry etiquette? Like all these things mm-hmm. in this book. I'm not trying to like no, again, toot your horn, I, I, but like first off, the check is in the mail, and I appreciate that. There's no the, he, nobody's paying me. That was a joke. Um, that is totally a joke. I, I'm um, here because I want to help support. And, and I, I, think and I, love, and I love you for it. Yeah. I, I will. I will tell you that people reach out and they say I'm a. I, you know, I'm getting into like my niece is getting into the restaurant industry. She like literally is getting her first restaurant job, and I'm like, great. That read this front to back. And then I have GMs, DOs that are like, hey, congratulations on the book. And I'm like, read it backwards. Because the first part, yes, it has everything to do with why you're in this industry, who are your staff, how you develop them, how you train them, how you support them. But the back half of the book starts with rules of the industry and etiquette and then gets into a quiz. Are you up to date on everything? And then how you can promote yourself and why that's an important thing for you to move on beyond the position that you're in and how to deal with large egos like owners. So if you follow the trajectory of the book, it starts with a very straightforward, this is how you build your team. And at the end, it's a lot more focused on the development of the philosophy of how you deal with the people from an ego standpoint yeah, or your, every day. Your career as a manager. How, so exactly. first it's like, oh, like – if you're un, if you're a new manager, here are the issues. Now you're a seasoned manager, here are your issues. So Correct. it's kind of chronological. The challenges you're going to face as a manager. Correct. Yeah. And so that's if if you've been around for a while, read the book backwards because when I constructed it originally, I mean, not for nothing, but I have been writing this book since. Uh, Highway 61 days at the uh, the barbecue shop in Toronto because when I left and I had to move back to the U.S., I had to write down everything I thought of for the person who was taking it over. So there are aspects of this book that are literally written in 2006. But when I began to really pull it together, they were articles. They were freestanding articles that I put out. So if there are things in the book that you're like, oh, yeah, I really want to know how to source better clients or, or source better people or whether or not to use. Or not how to maintain clients uh, or, or employees. Or employees. Yeah. How, how, to, how to make sure that you uh, – whether or not to use recruiters or – That was a cool element of the book too, which is the – there's like little things that you wouldn't 
think about discussing unless you're in the industry. And I'll say it publicly while we're recording. Like I would love to have you come join us in the network and dissect some of these chapters and do some work workshops around specifically. Yeah, I I would love love it it too. I think there's a lot of value in here. Uh, We'll have to reconnect after this recording to kind of prioritize what you think is the most valuable stuff. Um, But that there's your invitation. Uh, well, and, uh, invitation, yeah, absolutely. I would, yeah. I would enjoy that. <laughs> and like all my guests, you get lifetime access to the network. I'm going to send that you a link for that. I and appreciate I'd love that. to have you be a part of it. And I want you to delete some conversations. I think there's some really valuable stuff here. Um, we are at the end of the free flowing portion of the interview. Anything we have not discussed up to this point that you want to get out before we go to the speed round. The only thing I want to discuss is that the book is available on Amazon for an ebook for download for 99 cents. Wow. And I do that simply because it's not a profit center, obviously. I, I just think it's important. And I know that sounds kind of egotistical, but the reality is there is, especially now with the drop in staff and finding people, the number of restaurants I know that are just giving people keys and going, here, can you handle this? Can you do this? But they're not given the tools and the keys. This is a absolute guidebook that will allow people to make sure that they're not putting themselves in a bad position when they're communicating with their teams because they were just surprised made a manager. Oh, I can't ask about these things as a manager. Correct. I can't do, there's a lot of legalities that, that you, you point out to protect yourself. It's, sure. it's a very valuable book. I recommend it to anybody who is thinking of, of I, I recommend it to owners who are looking to promote people to become managers and say, Hey, you're a manager and surprise. Here you are. Here's a book. Yeah. When you finish this book, let me know and we'll get you started. You know, um, that will be, it's a good way to gauge interest, you know? Okay. Um, but this has been great. Um, we're gonna take one more quick break. Actually, one thing that I did not ask you that I ask (laughs) the majority, I guess sometimes I forget clearly I almost did just now, uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry? How have you transformed personally as a hospitality professional? You know, I, my, my transformation statement, I actually, I put in the back of my book, I liberally borrowed from somebody else that I worked with years ago. He taught me four words that you can say as a manager that will change the conversation with your staff. And the value is so incredible. And it's, I have the time. So the number of times that you walk over to your staff in the middle of a kill and go, hey, do you need any help? The response is always, no, 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 no I got this. Yeah. Because sorry, sorry. they feel that by saying that, that it's somehow a weakness by admitting it. But if you walk over to anybody and at any point in your life and say, hey, do you need help? I have the time. It shows this level of like availability and people will open to you and do that. And that for me has been the kind of philosophy of making sure that I'm available when I say I have the time to being able to be there for somebody and support them in whatever needs possible. I love it. Awesome stuff. Great conversation. One more break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a speed round. 
Love it. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box. Bento Box delivers a restaurant online marketing and commerce platform to help restaurants succeed by giving them back control of their presence, profits, and experience. Bento Box helps new restaurants get started with websites, online ordering, and marketing. You probably already knew about the websites. I mean, every leading restaurant tour out there it seems like it, they're using Bento Box, and that's because their brand building websites are designed exclusively for the need of a restaurant. Bento Box builds it for you and then they give you control to update things as you need like menus, hours, and homepage alerts beyond awesome websites you're also getting ordering. Open new revenue channels with online ordering, online catering, and e-commerce so you can sell things like gift cards and merch. And in addition, you're also getting marketing tools. Bento Box makes it easy to stay connected to your diners with pre-built automated email campaigns, built-in SEO, loyalty rewards programs, and more. All of this included with every Bento Box subscription. You should also know that Bento Box has brand new packages designed with the needs of new restaurants in mind. Get everything you need to get started marketing before you even open and succeed from day one. Current Bento Box customers have seen an average of 70% more website traffic, seven times more conversions, and five times their average ROO. I schedule a demo at getbento.com slash unstoppable and receive three months free. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. All right, we are back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe is your most valuable asset? Obsession. Mm. What is your biggest weakness? Um, rumination. Mm. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Side note, there's chapters dedicated to this in the book. Um, a pen, <laughs> a resume, a preparation. What, what, what question, like, what are you looking for? So side of pen, resume, interest that they, they want to be there, that, that, that this is more than just a for now job. Um, I want to see that people show up and that they want to 
Like when people don't show up for a resume without a resume or a pen, I use that as an example because they're not anticipating somebody's possible needs. And if you're in hospitality, that's all it is, is, is anticipating somebody's needs before they know that they have yeah. it. Yeah. In aviation, because I do have an aviation background, we call it being ahead of the plane. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to, be, to know where the plane is now. You need to know where the plane's going and being prepared for where it's going to be. Yeah, Because exactly. you can't park the plane. You can, not 30,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that could be a bad thing. Yes. <laughs> what is your biggest challenge today? Um, Second-guessing myself. Not, not willing to be accept risk. Mm-hmm. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Uh, if you are comped in a restaurant, tip on the original amount and tip thirty percent. Yeah, uh, if you host a restaurant podcast, tip the, the bill. <laughs> Yes. There you go. <laughs> Share one uncommon standard of service you teach your team. So this is something that's common within the restaurants you've worked in that you've taught them to go above and beyond what's expected, but not common throughout the industry. Uh, th- that the guest is usually wrong and that you can't hold energy around whether or not that they are correct, but only making sure that you're getting to their expectations. What is one book that's a must read to be a better person or restaurant operator. You cannot say, I cannot say my own. Come on. That's a given. <laughs> um, you cannot say Danny Meyer setting the table. I cannot say, Oh shit. Okay. Um, it doesn't have to be a restaurant focused book. Okay. Book. Subtle art of not giving a fuck mm. is, I mean, it's a super enjoyable. What's it, the message in that book? Cause you have to give a fuck. It's all about giving a fuck, right? Yes, but it's, it's how Which you, fucks you care it's how about. exactly it's choosing your, because if you choose your fucks, if you care too much, then you've become, you've diluted your compassion. And if you don't care at all, you become an arrogant bastard. Yeah. So somewhere in the middle that, that art of not giving a fuck, it's, it's a great read. Yeah, it is. I, I enjoyed it much, but it's, you can only care about so many things. You have to, be very intentional about where you put your energy is the correct message. It's, yeah. it's okay to care but you can't you have to be very intentional in what you choose to care about what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough uh realize that any bartender or server worth their salt could work anywhere yeah and changing the conversation of you should be so happy to work for us versus I'm so thankful that you choose every day to come to work. Yeah. And I think Danny, back to Danny Meyer, says essentially every hospitality employee is volunteering their time. Yep. They can work anywhere, but they're choosing to work for you. So show some gratitude. Without question. Yep. Uh, Name one service you've hired or you've worked in a restaurant group or you, you'd consult somebody. So when I say service, I'm not talking about like software as a service. I'm talking about people who do something better than you can do or your restaurant group can do and you should outsource to have them do it example law marketing pr human skills that you would have to outsource to who do you respect and admire who's doing it right i absolutely uh outsource all things hr i have a company that i go to called talent distinctions and they're based out of la and they are my nationwide focus Whenever I run into a challenge that I am logical enough to realize I don't have the answer. Okay. So, yes, when 
when there's a employee, excuse me, staff member issue that comes up and I don't have the best answer, HR is the one that I outsource. Beautiful. And the name of this company, one more time? Talent Distinctions. And they're out of LA and they are bulletproof. What is one technology you've adopted within your restaurants or you've consulted somebody to adopt within their restaurants? It's had a huge impact on communications, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines. Uh, inventory management software, usually BevSpot or MarketMan, the ability for people to understand not only what their, what their cost of dish is, but what their actual true cost of goods are on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Beautiful. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. All right. All right. I'm ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. Okay. So, okay. So the first one would be my book simply because Oh, that's my voice. Uh, shame, <laughs> shameless plug. The second would be a Bill Hicks Revelations, a 1992 stand-up that I think is revolutionary and timeless. And the third would be Fishbone's Truth, Truth and Soul, an amazing album that speaks to the humanity of people as the whole and the hope for the future. Beautiful. I've loved this story and you're sharing your knowledge, Ken. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one person you respect and admire in this industry? And if I got them on the show tomorrow, you'd be like, ooh, I'm listening to that. Who's that person? Oh, I'm, I'm shamelessly going to say Jonathan Stranger. He is based out of Oklahoma City. I've done some work with him, but his growth model is ridiculous. I've never seen somebody so focused not only on the staff and developing, but what they can do from a product standpoint. He is the product brand manager of uh, Prairie Wolf Spirits. He just opened a new place in Guthrie, Oklahoma, and he's looking at a place in California. The guy is insane drop his name on me one more time jonathan stranger jonathan stranger he spent years in new york working in michelin restaurants the guy is a killer and he's the person who 10 years from now people will see his name on billboards and go i uh, that guy's ridiculous yeah and he is and Jonathan, I'm coming after you. I, lo- I was just in Oklahoma City like six months ago. You're going to have to go back because he is, he is worth the trip. I, that is a cool city. Honestly, I had a lot. I was really pleasantly surprised. No disrespect to Oklahoma City. But when you think of Oklahoma and innovation, you Hey, that's where no I was offense. born. I get no it. Offense. I get it, brother. You're good. <laughs> they're yeah. doing some really great things, but they're on the fringe. You know, like the West, like th- between Oklahoma City and like New Mexico, not much. So though those fringe cities are where there's opportunity, where there's growth and things always grow from the inside out. So if you can get on the edge, which Oklahoma city right now, all those Nebraska, Oklahoma, like there's a lot of cool things happening. A lot of growth. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting area. Uh, interesting geographic for sure. Uh, we want to give a nod to the folks that are hosting us today. Yes. Thank you so much. 50, 50 group for having us here. Uh, we're in the second city space actually, but uh, big love to Scott and Greg for allowing us to shoot this here. And what an amazing restaurant group in Chicago. Beautiful. And if we are just totally 
enthralled by everything you've shared with us today and we want <laughs> to to get more of you uh what's the best way to connect corgan hospitality that's k-o-r-g-e-n hospitality.com best way to find me and of course the book is on amazon yep and that is the surprised restaurant manager stay tuned for the closing thoughts i will have a link to that book in the show notes uh and it's also an audible right now it is on audible i did not know that so i would have listened to that on the no way out here it's it's, it's five and a half hours brother dude that's that's two and a half hours it is at times two it is i mean <laughs> two hours lessons it, it was five minutes fabio does the beginning my wife does a little little excerpt but it's five and a half hours of me speaking but that's how i often read books i feel like that's a short book it's uh, god i mean love, it isn't it god isn't love you for saying that but like I listen to like fifteen hour, sixteen hour audio books. See, that's but at champ, times two, times two is, like, is a, a life hack. Dude. That's well, there you go. <laughs> so uh, we'll have a link to the book in the show notes. We'll also um, link to any tool services, uh, summary of today's discussion, all there in the show notes. Hang around to the closing thoughts. The content calendar is a little jacked up right now. I don't know what episode number this is going to be, but. We'll let you know in the closing thoughts. And uh, just again, thank you so much, Ken, for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. God love you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. There we go. Another episode concluded here at restaurantsunstoppable.com. Ken McGarry, thank you so much for joining us, man. I loved your perspective. We don't always get to talk to people with your kind of experience managing restaurants uh, in so many different verticals. And I think there was just tons of value today. And I loved your book. Uh, this book, if you're listening to this and you're interested in this book, this book, it was written for restaurant people. It's kind of like... Uh, very similar to how Ari Weinswag wrote his book in short essays. You can pick up this book in any chapter and start from there and there's going to be a lesson learned and it's perfect if you have somebody i think this book should be standard reading for people who are promoting to manager because there's just so many nuggets that you learn the hard way that will be spelled out for you in this book so if you're interested in getting this book the surprise a restaurant manager here's what you can do right now head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 806 which is this episode find the link that says 30 day trial join the network if you're not already in the network an RSVP to the peer mentoring session with Ken McGarry in the events tab so head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com go to the events tab find this event peer mentoring with Ken McGarry RSVP and then we will send you a book in the mail the first 10 people to rsvp will get a free signed book from ken mcgarry awesome stuff thank you so much ken for doing that and uh, just thank you uh for contributing to this resource and we have so many cool events happening right now in restaurant unstoppable network next week or this week as you're listening to this we are going to have Tony Smith, the founder and CEO of Restaurant 365, share his come up story, share the history of Restaurant 365. And we also have Spencer Rubin later next week, who is the founder and CEO of The Melt Shop, who's going to be doing peer mentoring as well in the network. And these peer mentoring sessions are your way to literally connect with my guests, to ask questions, to get advice, or just to reflect on their episode, or, or just to meet new people, new leaders in the industry. So we got a lot of cool stuff happening in the network uh, this coming week. I hope you guys can be a part of it. Uh, Thank you so much for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.